Hey, it's great to be together again uh, this morning, the opportunity that we have to spend time together in God's Word. We worship God in a variety of ways when we come to church. One is through the singing, but we often just equate worship and singing together, but actually worship is much more than just the songs that we sing. It's the, the offering that we give when we give offering. That is part of worship, um, just as the time that we spend together in God's Word. So I would just like to commit this uh, time to the Lord in prayer as we begin to focus on His Word. Lord, we do pray that you would be glorified, lifted up, honored in this time that we spend together. Lord, I pray that you would speak, that you would speak powerfully to us and that you would help us during this time to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do we have the presentation? Oh, there we go. Yep, the clicker, it works. So yeah, this morning we're going to be continuing in a series called True Love, True Faith, a series that we've been in as a church for the past few weeks. And um, this week, we're once again going to be in the book of Acts. If you were here last week, we were in Acts chapter 12. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 14, looking at a story in the life of Paul and Barnabas from their first missionary journey. This is also the second week in a row that we get to talk about airplanes. Do you remember that? Were you here last week? It wasn't necessarily, though, airplanes we were talking about. It was turbulence. It was that, that bouncing up and down, uncomfortable sensation that we often feel when we are flying on an airplane. If you remember, just real quick recap, we talked about turbulence, turbulence on a plane. Think about the last time you were flying and you experienced that sensation. Turbulence, we often as passengers, we don't know when it's coming. It just comes kind of out of nowhere. We don't know when it's going to end, how long it's going to last. Turbulence can often come at the worst possible times, right? Like you've sat down, you're in your, you have your meal in front of you on the tray, and, and you have your drink already, and maybe you want to drink it, or maybe you're getting a refill, and the flight attendant is pouring more water into your cup. And then, boom, everything gets turned and tossed around. Turbulence reminds us that we are out of control. There's really nothing that we can do except sit, hold on tight, make sure we're buckled in, and pray that it ends soon. Turbulence can be scary. Can you remember the last time when you were bouncing up and down on a plane and you actually got scared? Turbulence might even make us throw up. So we just talked about this, the fact that turbulence is a fact of life when you fly. You just have to be ready for it. But it's also a fact of life when it comes to life. 
Life at times can be turbulent. Sometimes in life we're tossed and turned all over the place, up and down, thrown up into the air at the worst possible times. Maybe everything in life seems to be going smooth. It's just going right along. We've sat into, we're in our chair, we're nice and comfortable. We've started our movie. And then all of a sudden, boom, something happens. We weren't expecting. We can't control it. We don't know when it's going to end. And maybe it's even scary. If you remember as well, we talked about the fact that as Christians, Turbulence is something that we actually should expect. Remember, Jesus has said, you know, in this life, you're going to have trouble. If we follow Jesus well, if we follow Jesus closely and live faithfully for him, then we should expect that turbulence is going to follow. Difficulty is going to come. So my prayer is not really, Lord, please keep the turbulence out of my life. But my prayer is rather, Lord, When the turbulence comes, help me to live in a way that honors you. Help me to live in a way that brings praise to your name. Teach me to live out this truth, Lord, that living faithfully for you, Jesus, is vastly more important than a comfortable, turbulent, free life. So we want to live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of the turbulent, but what exactly does that look like? Again, last week we talked about these three different areas. We were in Acts chapter 12. If you were here, we talked about Peter and he was put in prison and then he had this miraculous escape. The angel came and pulled him out of prison, let him out, and it was crazy, the story. But we talked about how living well in the face of turbulence is about living fearlessly for the Lord. It's about praying expectantly. Remember the the Christians who gathered in Mary's house and they were praying for Peter, expectantly praying that God would work in this situation. And then it was as well about remembering that in the end, God wins. Remember how it ended? Remember Herod had imprisoned Peter. He wants to stop this movement, this Christian movement. That's his goal. And yet the very last statement in the section of scripture that we were reading said that the word of God continued to spread and flourish. But do you remember what happened to Herod? Anybody? Yeah. It was a very graphic way. He was eaten by worms. That's a a nice word picture. He was eaten by worms and died. So you have the word of God continuing to spread and flourish, and Herod, who wanted to stop it, is the one who is dead. Remember, in the end, God is the one who wins. So if you weren't here last week, no worries. That was the entire sermon in about three minutes. You didn't miss anything. This morning, though, as I mentioned, we're going from Acts chapter 12 to Acts chapter 14, two chapters away, And we're looking at a story involving Paul and Barnabas from their first missionary journey. Now, I'm going to put a map up here. I don't know how much of this you can see or how clear it is. Yeah, it's not too bad. So um, Paul actually went on four missionary journeys. The last journey is this little orange dotted line. If you see that, it starts down in Jerusalem right there. 
and it goes all the way across to way up there is Rome, if you can see that. That's the fourth, they call it a missionary journey, but it, it actually was his journey to Rome. And in Rome, that's where he was imprisoned, and then eventually he was killed. He had three other journeys, all the squiggly lines there, and the one we're going to be looking at this morning is the first journey, which is the red. Can you see the red? The red journey. The red journey, which, which starts in Antioch, way up there, and then it goes through Cyprus, and then it kind of goes up around to a city called Perga. There's another Antioch up there, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and then he curls around and he comes back through. The key in this is, and you might be able to see this from the, the map, this is Asia Minor, the area of this first missionary, first missionary journey. It's basically Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And so Paul, on his journey, is going in and around modern-day Turkey, what was called Asia Minor. And on these journeys, you would have Paul and his companions, they would go into a city to talk about Jesus. And often they would start by going to a synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. And they stayed there as long as they were allowed because often what happened was the reception that they got was bad. People didn't like it. They didn't want to hear what Paul had to say. And so they would get kicked out of the synagogue. And from there, Paul would go on and he would speak in other places in the city before he moved on. Some cities, they were there only a short time. In other cities, they were there longer. And again, that largely was dependent on the reception that they got. If the people were receptive to the message. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. Each city was somewhat unique, but what was similar about them all was the turbulence that awaited when Paul and his companions arrived. You want to talk about the craziness of life, the craziness of being tossed and turned up and down all over the place. That was Paul and Barnabas on these four missionary journeys. You can read it. All. It's all in the book of Acts. Some great stories, but amazing turbulence that was faced by Paul and the others. And I think never more so than when they made a stop in the city of Lystra. We read about that in Acts chapter 14, starting with verse 8. It'll be up here, or you can read it out of your phone or Bible if you have that as well. Starting in, in verse 8, Acts chapter 14, it says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Just stop right there really quick. Look at the entrance that Paul and Barnabas now make into the city, the city of Lystra. Their approach is not, you know, hey, let's keep things low-key. Let's just kind of ease our way into ministry, scope out the place, get a sense of who's where, you know, the power brokers in the city, make sure we don't offend anyone, you know. That's not Paul's approach to ministry. Quietly, quietly at work behind the scenes. No, that's not how he does it. For them, Paul and Barnabas, they've been commissioned. They've been sent out by the Lord to declare the coming of the kingdom of God. 
And so they come to the city of Lystra, and it says that as they come in, they see this man who can't walk. He is lame. He hasn't been able to walk from birth. They see him, okay? So they see physically him, but it also says that they saw his faith. They were able to see more than just what we normally see. They saw his faith, and seeing that, they said, hey, you can be healed. Stand up. It's pretty audacious, right? Can you imagine being someone who hasn't been able to walk your whole life? And here comes somebody. Stand up. You might want to say, you don't understand, right? I don't stand. That's just not what I do. I can't. He does. He stands up. Just like that. He stands up. He has been healed. And this is like the coming of the kingdom of God. You wonder what the kingdom of God is like, people in Lystra? You don't know about it. Here it is. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It's disruptive. It's unsettling. It demands a response. There's no quietly easing into ministry. It's just, boom, you're healed. The kingdom of God has arrived. Let's keep reading. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. This is classic. I mean, I hope you're seeing what's, what's happening here. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, just like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things and to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. But then, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, two cities that they had previously been to, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the the city, thinking he was dead. This is turbulence. (laughs) This is a turbulent storm that Paul and Barnabas are going through at the moment, right? So they go in, they perform this miracle. The people, they see what Paul and Barnabas have done and their immediate response is to to say, wow, we see the miraculous sign. The gods have come down from earth or from heaven to earth. Paul and Barnabas, we're gonna call you Zeus and you Hermes. And then they start to worship, right? They get down and 
the priest of Zeus is like, wow, Zeus is here. Really? All right, then let's start to prepare sacrifices for them. You can just imagine the shock on the faces of Paul and Barnabas as they see this unfold. Yes, actually, they have come to declare that God has come from heaven to earth. Only his name is Jesus, not Zeus and Hermes. They've come simply as ambassadors of Jesus. They're emissaries of Jesus. Their aim, their goal is to point people to Jesus, not to themselves. And yet, upon seeing this healing, the people are wanting to bow down before them. The people are saying, you guys are the real deal. And Paul and Barnabas are trying to tell them, no, the praise and the honor and the glory doesn't belong to us. And we'd like to think that this was crisis averted. Paul and Barnabas are explaining, trying to help them make sense of it all, except that shortly after this, we read that a group of people from two other cities, as I mentioned, Iconium and Antioch, they came, they didn't like Paul and Barnabas, they came and it says they won the crowd over and convinced the crowd that Paul and Barnabas were actually deserving of death. Okay, so just like that. Oh my gosh, you did a miracle. We love you, we worship you. To, oh, you're the worst ever. We hate you, let's kill. Turbulence. <laughs> Whiplash. Sometimes following Jesus is like that. Sometimes when we follow hard after Jesus, when we love him, when we serve him, we treasure him, we live our lives for him, people around us, they will see. They're going to see that. And the question is, having seen, how are they going to react? Will they love us? Will they hate us? Maybe do a little bit of both? Who knows? But the important lesson for us is to never forget who we are in Christ Jesus. That's the only way we're able to remain stable when forces are pulling us back and forth. Living faithfully for Jesus in the midst of turbulence means that we never forget our identity we never forget who we are in Christ. It's like having the seatbelt on on the plane. Quick, put your seatbelt on. That's the thing that keeps you in one place so that you don't bounce all around. Keep that seatbelt on in life. Remember who you are in Christ. That means that if people come up to you and they think you're the best thing like the world has ever seen, and they want to worship you. We're quick to say, hey, no, actually, no. No, see, I'm living for Jesus, and my goal, my mission is to point you to him. 
So I want to live in a way that you will eventually forget about me and you're going to remember him. And if you sense that people have that confused, then we quickly say, no, no, don't. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. We are his ambassador. We were sent by him. We serve him, but we point people in his direction because he's the one who deserves the praise. But on the other hand, if people look at us and they think that we are the worst thing to ever walk the face of this earth, being reminded of our identity in Christ reminds us that that's not true. Yes, we are messed up. Yes, we have our share of problems. That's right. But Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. God knows everything about me. He knows everything about you. And yet, he has showered you with his grace. He loves you. He loves me. And he wants to use us for the sake of his glory in this world. That truth is so important to remember, especially at those times when people might think we're the worst thing in the world. When Paul and others encountered turbulence, they never forgot who they were in Christ Jesus. And it was so important for them to remember that in order that they could minister effectively for him. Okay, so back to us. We, we want to live faithfully for Jesus in Hong Kong today. Before we leave our house then, every single day, we need to be reminded who we are. We need to remember who we are in Christ. Humbled, humbled knowing that we are the messenger, we're not the message. We are the servant, we're not the savior. Be humble. And yet be lifted up, be encouraged, knowing that we serve in the courts of the king by the proclamation of the king himself. He wants to use me and you. He loves us. How remarkable is that? We have to be reminded of that as well. Be rock solid in our understanding of our identity it keeps us steady, it keeps us stable when on the one hand, people might think we're the best thing in the world and on the other, people might think we're the worst. So living faithfully to Jesus or for Jesus is about remembering who we are in Christ. It's also about persevering in the midst of difficulty when things get really hard. Let's keep reading. Now in verse 20, it says, so remember Paul, when we left him, he's kind of left for dead, it says. But after the disciples had gathered around him, Paul, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Just two short verses here, but how astonishing is it is to see how Paul responds to almost being killed. He's at death's door. 
They think he's dead, but he gets up. And it says, instead of running away from Lystra, he went back into the city. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to think about how I would have responded by being beat up and left for dead. I'm thinking if I had the energy to pull myself back up, the last thing I would have done was go back to that city. They hate me. They want me dead. Okay, I'm going to go somewhere else. That would be how I responded. I'm going to stay far away from Lister. I don't ever want to go to that city. I don't want to hear that word again in my life. Let's go somewhere else. I want to run away. And yet that's not what Paul does. It says that he goes back into the city. You see, I think that Paul was not only crystal clear about his identity, who he was in Christ, but he was also crystal clear about the task that he had been sent to accomplish as, a, as an ambassador, remember, as an emissary of Jesus. And he's not about to give up on that task. So he says, I'm going to go back in. I'm going to persevere in the face of this difficulty. And so he goes back into town, and then we read that the next day, Paul and Barnabas then left there for the other city called Derby. And then even further down, we read that they came back around. So if you remember the squiggly lines on the map, they went to Derby, but then they curled back around and went back to all these cities before they headed back to Antioch. And so he went to Lystra even another time. This is endurance. This is perseverance. Not giving up. Even when you face major, major turbulence. Instead, though, Paul knows that this is what God has directed him to do. And so he heads right back into the lion's den. Paul actually spoke about this in the book of 2 Timothy, he's talked about endurance and perseverance here. He says, you, now he's speaking to Timothy here, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. So Paul here, he's talking to, second, to, to Timothy in this book, and he recalls the persecutions that he endured, but then he declares that it was the Lord who rescued him. The Lord was at work rescuing, empowering him to persevere. Like, like Paul, we face turbulence in life. And yet, instead of running and hiding when it comes, we, like Paul, are to persevere through it and endure in the face of turbulence because we put our faith, not in our own ability to endure, we put our faith in God's ability to empower us through. As Paul just said in 2 Timothy, God rescued me from them all. God was at work saving me in the midst of the storm. The importance of persevering, the importance of not giving up. Again, because we know who we are in Christ and we know what God has called us to do. 
And because we know these things deep down, we're able to persevere even when life is really hard. And so we live well in the face of turbulence by, by not forgetting our, our identity in Christ and by persevering, by not giving up. And then finally, by remembering that God's plan is bigger, it's, it's broader and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. God's plan is bigger and broader and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. It would be hard to blame Paul if after being beaten up in Lystra, he said to God, God, I think this plan of yours is the worst plan in the history of plans. These people want me dead. These people want to kill me. Your plan for me here in this place is a failure. It didn't work. That might be how I prayed to God. I don't know how you might pray. Your plan stinks, God. Have you ever said that, by the way? Have you ever tried to make sense of what God was doing in your life and then you're like, your plans are awful. I'm gonna try mine next time. It's okay to say that to God, by the way. God can take it. God, what's up with this plan? Paul didn't do that though. And he didn't because I think he knew a truth that was expressed really well by a guy named John Piper. John Piper famous guy who writes books. He, he made a statement that I, when I first read it, I thought, wow, that's really impactful and, and true. He said this, he said, God is doing 10,000 things in your life and you might be aware of three of them. God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now and you might be aware of three, maybe two or even one. The truth that our vision is so limited. We see this much of what's going on around us, whereas God is doing this. God is doing 10,000 things, and we see this, maybe one, two, at the most three. Paul, in this moment, might have seen one thing, and that is he's about to die. That's all he can see is that people want him dead. They want him out of there. No more Paul. He might have only been able to see one thing, but God was at work because God's plan is bigger. It's broader. It's more beautiful than we can imagine. We don't know all that God was doing in the midst of this. God was doing really cool things, but I think one cool thing in particular. Remember that passage we read from a moment ago, 2 Timothy. That book, okay, so you have First and Second Timothy. It wasn't written by Timothy. It was written for Timothy, and it was written by Paul. So that's actually one of Paul's or two of Paul's books. He's writing to Timothy, who at the time of that writing was actually, he was being mentored by Paul. It was like a son in the faith. 
Timothy was growing up, and in fact, he was becoming a leader in the church. And he would, in fact, in the end, become a very important leader in the early church, this Timothy. But I think it's really interesting to take a look at where things started for him. Look at this really quick. This is Acts 16.1. just want to read this. Paul, now this is on his second missionary journey. Remember, there's four... We were reading about first, this is on the second now, came to Derby and then to Lystra. He went back to those same cities where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Stop right there. We just read right through that. Did you catch that though? It says that Timothy, one day influential leader in the life of the church, came from, of all places, Lystra. Timothy is from this awful, no good, very bad, horrible place where they want Paul dead. He came from Lystra and in fact was part of the fruit of Paul's ministry on that first missionary journey. Remember the introduction to Christianity that that Lystra got. That was when they first started hearing about this thing. Paul is now coming back into the city and there is fruit that is growing as a result of that first trip. And part of the fruit that is growing happens to be named Timothy. Paul might have thought that this was the worst plan in the world and nothing good was gonna come from this. And yet God was doing something way bigger, way broader, way more beautiful than Paul could imagine. He was bringing something beautiful out of the mess of this first trip to Lystra. In the midst of the turbulence, God was raising up Timothy. He did so for Paul and he does so for us as well. Again, we see a tiny little piece of the puzzle. You ever try, I mean, you guys put puzzles together and you see this little piece and you wonder where in the world can this piece go? God sees the whole picture. God sees the entire thing. so important for us to be mindful of that, especially at those times when life is hard and difficult. And we're saying, what God are you doing? Why did you allow this to happen? Why is my life so difficult and hard? Why does nothing seem to be working? Your plan is awful. How important when we find ourselves in those places to be reminded God's plan is way bigger. God's doing 10,000 things. God raises up Timothy's in the middle of our turbulence. Years ago, when we were in Beijing, um, and I mentioned this last week when I talked about cancer that had come with my sister-in-law and my mom, 
they were just a season, in the middle of a season where life was difficult, and we were really trying to make sense of what God was doing. That's when I first read that John Piper quote. I kind of read that, and it just stuck with me, and I was processing and thinking about it and praying through it. And out of that, I just, I penned this short little prayer And I shared it with our team in Beijing, but it was this. When we are struggling to make sense of the things God is doing in our lives, I pray that we would see even three and be thankful and be humbled knowing that 9,997 other things there still could be. My prayer for us is that in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the turbulence, that God would give us the eyes to see some of those 9,997 other things that he's doing, that God would help us to see that. That God would give us a vision that doesn't just see this much, but maybe even this much, to see what he's doing around us that we might catch a glimpse of God's beautiful plans for us in the face of the storms. That we would stand rock solid in our identity, knowing who we are and who we're not. And that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, would give us the strength to persevere through it all expectantly waiting to see the Timothy who is going to come out of our turbulence. Just like to spend a moment uh, to reflect on this. So if we could just bow our heads and continue listening to the Lord and what he would want to say to us. God, we're so thankful for for your word that we can read, for the encouragement that comes through it as we read about these things that happen in the lives of Paul and Barnabas. 
but we know that your word is living and active. It's not just about what happened in the past. It's about what's happening right now in our lives. And your spirit is working powerfully in and through this book, speaking to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us greater insight and understanding about what this means for us. Lord, how do we live well for you when life around us is going crazy? Lord, we love you and we want to live faithfully for you and for the sake of your name in this place, in this day. I pray that you would strengthen us such that we would be able to do just that. Not so that at the end of this all, we'd have people saying, you're the greatest to us, but rather that people would be looking at Jesus saying, Jesus, you're the greatest. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.